Welcome to Premier Retirement with Jeff Ogan, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name is Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Jeff Ogan, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management. Jeff, how's it going this weekend? Oh, doing great. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. Glad to be with you and glad to be with all the fine people here of the greater Tucson area because we've got a lot to talk about on today's show. As our listeners know who listen to the show regularly, of course, we're going to be doing our case study segment, and that is where you're talking about a case that you had this past week. Also, we've got listener questions. Later on in the show, we're going to be talking about what it means and what happens when you call 520-780-9059 and you set your appointment with Jeff. We'll detail what happens with that process. But let's start off with current events. Something that was interesting that I found, Jeff, is an article that said that we may be seeing a green light to return to the stock market. The stock market's fear gauge just hit a 42-month low, but investors seem to be ignoring a load of risk. So what do you think is behind this? this lack of fear with the stock market? And is it really a green light to jump back into the market? Well, I know a lot of institutions aren't jumping back in the market. I know a lot of really smart people like Stanley Drucker, we talked about last week, uh, Ray Dalio, they're not jumping back into the market. They might be, you know, day trading on a little bit. But, you know, most of these smart people, smart investors aren't getting in the market. In fact, you know, the fear gauge is really a, a great indicator uh, when the market, when nobody has fear, that's when the market's like ready to crash. And, you know, we even found that out. I mean, this article you're talking about was about a week ago. And, you know, since that, during this you know past week, we had, you know, Fitch downgrade our own U.S. debt. In other words, the quality it went from AAA to AA+. Plus. You know, that's not a big downgrade. I mean, AA plus sounds pretty good, but we've always been AAA. I mean, um, how long in history have we had downgrades? I mean, very few times. And when it does, it usually ripples through the market. I'm really surprised that it didn't take a bigger toll than it did. But bottom line is when uh, yeah, all we're waiting for is just one little um, catalyst to make people remember how overvalued the market is and, you know, where we are, where we've come from and how irrational it really is. The thing is, is we have been seeing just absolutely irrational buying. You know, the smart investors and the hedge fund managers and the institutions who are telling the truth are explaining that, you know, we are in the biggest bubble that history's ever known. In fact, it's a global bubble. It's not just here in the U.S., but especially here in the U.S. If you're uh, banking on the fact that the dollar is still the preferred currency and that the our market is still the preferred market because, you know, it's on a roll and it's going up and momentum is going crazy. If you look at the breadth of the market, it's not that good. Yet there's no fear. That's like just because six stocks, you know, you got the Apple, Tesla, Google, you know, Microsoft, uh, NVIDIA, those stocks, which this year have grown $4.5 trillion in market cap, makes up almost the entire market cap increases in the S&P 500. And that's only like six stocks. So when you look at the fact that only six stocks that have been overly hyped by AI, which might generate maybe $2 trillion in revenues over the next five years, raising the market capitalization, the actual value of these companies, just based on you know, that aspect of, oh, this new AI. And by the way, we've been doing AI for a long time. They're just calling it AI and hyping it, you know, just like the, you know, the internet started a, well, although not in full force, but uh, started before the late 90s when it crashed, but it was just going great guns. I mean, I, th this whole situation that we're in right now with all this AI hype, people throwing money at stocks that probably won't even do anything because the big companies are going to basically own it. But then again, the big companies are going to have to share that market, yet they're buying these stocks as if, you know, Microsoft and Tesla and NVIDIA and all these people own every bit of the AI market 
and it's bigger than it really is. So, you know, it's it's really speculation and hype. It's speculation based on hype. I think people are tired of being bears. They're tired of waiting for this uh, recession that's imminent, I think getting more and more imminent to happen because market cycles happen, market cycles repeat, and we know how these market cycles go in the end. You know, somewhere between six and 24 months after an inversion on a yield curve, we have a recession. Well, we're in month 13. So we have plenty of time for this, you know, recession to still happen. And, you know, many of the smart investors that are not in the market right now, and I like to follow smart money, people who have made themselves billionaires and made the people they work for uh, multimillionaires and billionaires are people that I trust. I don't trust banks. I don't trust Wall Street firms who are trying to tell you to buy stock because they have a whole bunch of NVIDIA stock that they'd love to sell you at 450 price earnings ratio at a price of about 450 as well, based on, you know, an earnings and a growth rate that would have to, you know, exceed anything that we've really seen in the marketplace and just seems really unreal. I mean, why are we paying double or triple the amount of money for $1 worth of earnings? Earnings are still going down about 7%. Most companies have revised their earnings downward in order so that when they report earnings for the second quarter of this year, they can report a surprise upside. So one company says, oh, we, we think there's we're going to have a, a 10% decrease in revenues and a 9% decrease in earnings. And then they come in with, oh, we only had an 8% decrease in revenues. In other words, our, our revenue increase was 20% better than we expected. Well, wait a minute, 20% better? No, it wasn't. It was a... <laughs> A 2% loss we didn't receive that we claimed we might in order to, you know, hype our earnings and, you know, give some sort of a buying signal to the public. Why? Because we didn't lose as much money. So instead of being down what, you know, market analysts thought was going to be about a 7.7% decrease in earnings across the board, we're seeing about a 7.2 earnings decrease across the board in reality, which is still a negative seven. Yet the market's up huge this year. Market cap has grown on just a few companies. But if you look at the breadth, the S&P 500, I believe still has more losers than winners. And, you know, besides those six stocks, that I named earlier, the rest of the S&P 500 only makes up about, you know, 3% of the gains in market valuation and stock increases. So there's not a lot of breadth to the market yet. Somehow people keep throwing stuff at the indexes and, you know, these six stocks are cap weighted. So they affect the index in a kind of an, I think, irresponsible way. It's actually cap weighted, which means it's kind of a manipulated way to uh, see the market. So when six stocks drive the market up or down and basically tell us what the index is doing, why do we even have 500 stocks in the S&P 500 anymore? If half or three quarters or even 90 percent of all the gains in the upward momentum or downward momentum is driven by how these six stocks do. I get it. They're mega cap stocks and they do tell a story. But when people throw money at them to overvalue them, there has to be some sort of a reconciliation period where equilibrium happens again, where it gets back to a normal range. We've seen that happen over and over again in history. It always goes back to equilibrium. The bubbles always pop. People always get irrational and get rid of all the fear right before the next crash. Mm -hmm. And then we just have to have a couple of catalysts, maybe bad news like earnings downgrades by Fitch. By the way, people go, oh, who's Fitch? Well, S&P is another one. Uh, got Moody's. You got all kinds of different rating agencies out there that would you know, love to tout what they think uh, about the American uh, strength of their bonds and their debt. But if we keep on ruining our economy by creating inflation, that doesn't even, I mean, that's far in excess of the GDP that we create, yet somehow we keep touting the fact that Bidenomics is creating jobs and creating Creating uh, growth. Well, the jobs and the growth don't keep up with the jobs lost or the increase in what it costs to live. So we're actually living worse and worse every day. They're uh, stripping the profits and the American dream out of the American people. 
Yet, if you have money, you can throw it at the stock market and watch it grow up and you feel pretty rich and pretty satisfied. But that's only the people with money that can invest. There's half of the population or more that are depleting all their investments and aren't investing and are having to live on it and don't know how what their uh, longevity is with money. I mean, uh, even Kamala Harris, who you know, is part of this Bidenomics uh, success plan, even said just recently that over half of America is one $400 bill away from bankruptcy. Like, yeah, whoa. I mean, amazing. if that's the case, is the economy really doing well enough to support long-term growth with these companies that are already extremely overvalued on every indicator. I mean, there's not one indicator that shows that there's fair valuation, yet you see news uh, things like, well, the market's finally back to fair value. Like, seriously? Fair value based on what? Not based on history, just based on what somebody says is an opinion so they can hype you and make you think, oh, it's okay. And we have become a nation, especially the younger generation, people that don't care to read about fundamentals and what drives markets and what makes sense when to buy. And I I learned that way. And unfortunately, I'm kind of stuck there. But the, the new breed of people just listens to whatever they see on a phone and Facebook and they believe it. It's just like, oh, that's what they say. Oh, Motley Fool says, buy this. It must be good. And maybe they're right. Or, oh, the market says, oh, uh, yeah, the president says the market's good. Oh, we should uh, keep buying in the market. Bottom line is we just got the indicator, in my opinion, that this is the absolute worst time to ever buy. Hmm. And that is that there is no fear. When there is no fear, that is not the time to buy. You know, John Templeton made uh, himself famous as one of the biggest mutual fund managers before Vanguard and Fidelity got to be kind of the, the icons of the mutual fund and the investment industry. But, you know, he always says you buy when nobody wants to and you sell when everybody wants to buy. So, you know, it's kind of Warren Buffett's theory, too. I mean, yeah. although Warren Buffett kind of has to stay in the market, he tries to buy when people are, uh, you know, getting all been out of shape about the market and take advantage of that and you know maybe be selling into this uh this strength I, i'm assuming he probably is so i'm raising some cash for the next downtrend in the market but if market gets back to equilibrium and equal value or where it should be we're talking about a 24 percent at minimum 20 to 40 percent correction you know when this next leg down happens and i still think it will smart people think it will i want to follow the smart people not the people that have never had any investment experiences that are just throwing money at their market and watching it go up it it makes no sense to me, but it's happening. So that's my take. Jeff, before we continue, I want to take a moment to remind our listeners that they can have a conversation with you to ask their questions about the market and whether or not it is safe to get back into the stock market. If you're listening to the program today, you need some answers, then request your no-cost, no-obligation Premier Retirement Roadmap by calling 520-780-9059. That number again, 520-780-9059. Now, when you call, you're going to get a friendly voice, more than likely Shelly on the other end of the line, who will gather some basic information from you. Then Shelly will set up a conversation with you and Jeff to create a plan towards your successful retirement. Now, remember, it's not going to cost you a dime to talk to Jeff, but it could uncover some flaws spots that when addressed may help improve your quality of life and retirement that could last as long as think about this 30 plus years if you're on track to run out of money at the end of retirement when would you like to know that probably not on the verge of running out of money but you'd like to know that now so that you can make some adjustments you're going to be able to ask jeff your questions and get the answers you need to put yourself on that path to that successful retirement again call 520-780-9059 that's 520 9059 or you can request your complimentary consultation online at premret.com it is p-r-e-m-r-e-t.com by the way if you're just joining us this is premier retirement with jeff fogan i'm jeff shade and we just finished discussing the enthusiasm about the stock market and how it may not be all that is cracked up to be if you want to hear the show again don't worry we are also a podcast just go to wherever you get your podcast search for premier retirement with jeff fogan you can also google that you'll get this show and all of our past shows so you can stay on top of your wealth and your path 
to a successful retirement. Jeff, we've instituted this thing in the past couple of weeks where we talk about a case of the week. This is a case that you've had this past week that some people may relate to. So let's kick it off. What was the case that you had this past week? Lately, I have been getting people that I think are seeing uh, through this irrationality and deciding to come in and say, you know, am I really a little heavily involved in the market? I'm really feeling blessed by the rebound this year. You know, I was kind of, I wanted to get out last year. My broker said, no, hang in there, ride it all the way down and it'll come back. And it hasn't really come back all the way, but I'm still you know, nervous about running out of money. Uh, this particular uh, couple came in, they're in their late 60s. They've got about five years before they have to start taking RMDs out, about a million and a half in uh, retirement funds. You know, they've been pretty much their own stock pickers, although they do have an advisor. I'm not sure why they pay a fee because they pretty much tell them what to do. But, you know, when they say we want to get out and go to cash, they say, no, you got to hang in there. I guess it's just to justify the fees. I'm not sure. But bottom line is they kind of had a turnabout uh, with you know, how they don't believe that their advisors are really listening to their wishes. And so they're kicking tires, looking around. So, and, and this is, it seems to be a pretty common thing lately. And some people are saying, hey, I want to take profits to get out now because uh, it just seems irrationally high and it seems like a good time to take profits. I'm going to cash in some of what bounced back from the market last year. And they're getting talked out of it. No, no, no. You got to hang in there long term. This is a long term plan. Well, it isn't a long term plan for somebody who's been retired for two years, living on, you know, about $40,000 in income from their IRAs and you know pensions and things. Now, uh, one of the spouses have not taken uh, Social Security yet, so they're actually depleting their IRAs. But you know, in a couple of years, they're both going to have to take Social Security with pensions and things. They've got a guaranteed have to take income before taking any retirement funds out of their IRAs, a million and a half of IRAs between them, making about $100,000 a year. Now, at $100,000 a year income, which is about where they could live, you know, they've been taking out an extra 40 or so, paying taxes about 20, 25,000 a year, living on about 100, even though they've got about $750,000 in like uh, mutual funds and things that are non-IRA that always give them this surprise tax bill. And they're not spending any of that. That's still growing. So, you know, they're hitting the 25 bracket, which right now is the 22% bracket, which will be the 25% tax bracket going forward after the Trump tax cuts go away. The other thing that concerned them was after hearing the radio show and some things like that, they were talking about tax planning. And they realized that when required minimum distribution time comes in five years, when they're both, you know, around 73, they're going to be forced, if the million and a half that they have now in retirement funds, if they even go to a safe place and make 5% a year in you know short-term bonds or something, don't take any risk. They're looking at about $2 million in funds in about three years, even with what they have to withdraw over the next couple of years before they maximize their social security at age 70. So then what? Then they don't take anything out. It goes about $2 million. And at that point, they'll have to take about $80,000 out of their IRAs forced upon them, that's at age 73. Now, beyond that, it goes up every year. So if they're making about a dollars $120,000 a year gross, they get some standard deductions and some write-offs and things. And so they're going to be paying taxes on, you know, $75,000, $80,000 a year. That pretty much maxes out the 15% tax bracket in there in the 25. However, when you go up for another $80,000, that puts you past the 25% bracket, which you know, after the Trump tax cuts should be in the 153 range if it goes back to where it was before. Might be a slight cost of living adjustment above that. But they're going to be looking at $180,000 to $200,000 of income on a taxable basis that they don't really want to pay tax on and don't need. So, you know, the big push on this particular plan was, you know, how do we get out of that future taxes? We don't want to just give away this money. Oh, and by the way, the $700,000 that they have in, you know, some of it's in uh, even CDs now because they got a little, they divested a little bit out of the market, but there's a lot of mutual funds and things. They didn't make any money on that last year, but they didn't have really a tax problem last year. But what if 
you know, they do go into something that makes about 5% a year and spits off those gains, even though they're not spending that money. So I'm kind of setting up a, a few different scenarios here. So they've got the big RMD coming up in a few years. They've got money in non-qualified accounts that generate taxable interest every year, whether they use it or not. They don't take it. They just let that grow. Yeah. So these are the big two tax things. The other thing is they don't really need the income. So, you know, what are they going to do? Well, I like keeping people in the 15% tax bracket, but living like they're in the 28, but not paying 28% taxes on anything. So the focus that we looked at was how to convert all this into either tax favored income, or at least restructure the situation where they have less risk, more guaranteed, or at least predictable income, and don't get killed in five years when they have to start taking those required minimum distributions. Now, what it really comes down to is for the next five years, they could live at a pretty low tax bracket, but then they'll be in a higher tax bracket for the rest of their lives. And if they lived in the 90s or 100s, that's 20 or 30 more years. So 20 or 30 more years of having a tax, uh, you know, taxable income in the 28 bracket, maybe paying 30, 40, 50, 60,000 a year in taxes. Or what if you could pay 50 or 60,000 in taxes for the next three or four years and then pay 10 or 20,000 in taxes for the rest of your life? Well, what it came down to is when we put this plan together, and I'll tell you the bottom line, and then I'll, I'll work backwards and you know explain how it worked out. Is you know when when it came down to it, you know this person is going to live on about six and a half million dollars of actual income, but only pay taxes at about a thirteen percent actual rate. By going up to sixty or seventy thousand in taxes for the next four years and going down to twenty thousand for the rest of their life, is kind of flipped between paying twenty thousand dollars a year for the next four years and then paying sixty dollars or $80,000 a year on average for the rest of their life. The other thing is, is it structures a plan to where they can actually spend a little bit more of their money early on because, shoot, you have to take those IRA monies out later anyway. Why wait? Why not spend some of it in your go-go years? Shoot, you've saved a million and a half dollars for retirement. Oh, and you've got an extra $700,000 in non-qualified funds, which means you save more than the income you made and you maxed out your IRAs and 401ks and things, but still had extra. So you've been a smart saver. Uh, so, oh, by the way, they said, well, we'll probably end up just giving a lot of this to charity. A uh, couple of kids, but their kids are s- s- more than set up mm-hmm. uh, and they just want to live on what they can and uh, give the rest to charity. So there won't be a future tax bill if you give money to charities on things that are deferred. So that would be great for anything left in IRAs. But the problem is, is you're forced to take money out and pay tax on as long as you live. So, you know, if you're going to die next year and give all your IRAs to a charity, yeah, you don't have to pay any taxes on them, but you're not living 30 years and living on that money. So bottom line is we did a pretty aggressive Roth conversion program and alert program. We invested both. Some of the money in the joint non-qualified money that was um, the $750,000, some of that we moved over to a LERP, life insurance retirement plan, where they don't have to pay taxes on that money anymore, yet it's still available for them for use if they they want to. And the cool thing is, is as it grows, it grows tax-free. When you die, all that money that's in that account passes to your heirs or to your uh, charities tax-free. It does anyway. But the cool thing is, is this becomes an income stream generator where you don't have to wait and die with a big death benefit. You can actually use what you put in there, tax-free income, and you can use it for tax-free income on not only the principal that you put in there and pay taxes on, but also the gains that you make on that income, you no longer have to pay taxes on. So you don't get this surprise tax bill from your mutual fund companies. Now, the other half of this non-IRA money we put into an indexed annuity that is tax deferred. Now, why would we do something tax deferred that's just going to kick the can down the road and you'll have to pay tax on later? Well, that's the money that you pull out when you have a tax deduction. Like, let's say later in life, you go to a nursing home and you can write off health care. 
Well, you just take the profits off of the annuity at that point, pay for your health care, and you've got a nice little nest egg. Or if that ends up being the money that you thought you were going to give to charity originally anyway, rather than pay 28 or 30% taxes on that money while you earn it over the next 30 years, why not defer the taxes and give them the whole freaking pot when you die? So this became a better charitable gifting strategy by putting it into indexed annuities that go up when the market goes up and never go down when the market goes down. And then in addition to that, we set up a fairly aggressive Roth program where, we move, where we'll move over the next four years, the next three years, we'll move about $150,000 a year into Roth IRAs and convert. The reason we would do that is because that would max out our taxable income bracket at about $340,000 a year, which means right now you're in the 22% marginal tax bracket. So you can pay taxes at 22% over the next five years on approximately $600,000 in IRA money, be done with that, and now in the future, your required minimum distributions are going to be such that you'll never go into that 28% bracket anymore. So instead of paying 28% bracket on most of that money coming out of your IRAs, you're going to pay 22 now but never pay again. And you'll put it in a place where it can continue to grow. You can have principal protection, grow at 6, 8, or 10% is, is a reasonable expectation on that money over time. And you always have that nest egg that you can pull money out. So, you know, when it all came down to it, you know, when we did the before and after tax situation, you know, we looked at their tax-free income. And if we added up all the tax-free income sources from all the sources, oh, and by the way, still left plenty of Roth money in the tax-free column for heirs uh, if they did want to, you know, support grandkids by the time they decide they want to leave some money to their own family instead of everything to charity. And they, they don't want to leave everything to charity. They just have some charitable designs. They don't care if their kids get anything. But if their kids who are in high tax brackets do get something, why not give them the tax-free stuff? You know, it just makes more sense. So we structured it to where there's a ton of tax-free money left, ton of tax-free income to be had. And if you look at just the tax-free income from this plan, there's about two and a half million dollars of money that they will be able to spend if they live to age 100. That's if even just one spouse lives to age 100. So if they don't live to age 100, you know, subtract a few years from this. But, you know, we're looking at about $2.8 million in tax-free income from doing this plan. On $2.8 million, let's just say 2.7 because the numbers are easy to kind of round up. So the way you can figure out how much taxes you're saving is if you're in a 25% tax bracket, you take a third of what your income is. So on 2.7 million, it's about $900,000 in income. In other words, in order to live on a net of $2.7 million, you would have had to withdraw or make an extra $3.6 million in actual withdrawals, pay taxes even at 25% to be left with a 27. But if you're in a higher tax bracket, we're looking at over a million dollars in tax savings just from this maneuver. What did it cost you? Well, it made your tax bracket go up about 40,000 for four years. So you pay 160,000 in taxes now to save a million dollars in taxes of money you can keep for the rest of your life. I don't know anywhere you can put that kind of investment money away. $160,000 or, or just $40,000 a year for four years. In other words, you know, $160,000 investment over the next four years and it generates actual return on investment just from tax savings of a million dollars, five times your money. I mean, that's not too bad, especially when you're spending it down. So they were pretty happy to see that. They're actually currently kind of in the middle of their second, third uh, appointment. The first appointment, we got all the information, found out their goals, put the plan together, went over the plan. They're going like, whoa, this is like mind blowing. We got to go and study this, which is exactly what our process is, is yes, let me show you the plan. Let me show you how each of the pieces work. Let me show you the annuity that we're going to invest in and why it makes sense. Let me show you the LERP, the life insurance product and why it makes sense, how it grows 
and how you can borrow at a lower rate and get more income out than you put in tax-free. And when you die, the residual goes tax-free. Oh, and by the way, there's a life insurance part of this where the death benefit becomes available to you should you need to go to a nursing home or become terminally ill. So you've got the, a lot of aspects of your retirement plan covered with just that particular part of the plan alone. Now, the other thing is, is we pared down the risk down to about a third of all their money that they have in their retirement plan is at risk. So next time the market crashes, if we even are in the market, and if we're tactical about it and aren't in the market, of course, we're not going to lose anything. Right now, we're not exposing ourselves to the market. So if the market crashes, we're not going to lose anything. But what if we got blindsided and you know we're in the market right now, like they are now, and we only had 500000 at risk, and the market crashed 20%? Okay, we lose hundred grand. What if it crashes 40%? We lose two hundred grand. But losing 200000 on an investment portfolio is a lot better than losing seven or 800,000 if the market crashes 40 or 50%, right, on the whole thing. So we can pare down the risk, make sure that we have enough income without relying on the risk money so that it really doesn't matter if we ride the roller coaster because we've got another million in safe places that's generating income and available to us tax-free when we need to use it. Jeff, I'm sure that based on your description of that past case that a lot of our listeners might want to get in touch with you because they've got questions about tax planning. If you have questions about taxes, we invite you to call us and request your complimentary Premier Retirement Roadmap. Just a friendly conversation with Jeff that'll cover a wide range of topics based on your individual situation so that you can proactively adjust your financial plan to address your retirement journey and find any blind spots that may hinder you from reaching your goal. If you're not on the right course, when would you like to know that? Probably right now. Again, no cost and no obligation whatsoever. That number to call 520-780-9050. 520-780-9059. One call could make all the difference. You can also request your complimentary consultation online at premret.com. That's P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Jeff, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got listener questions. And then later on in the show, we'll talk about what that consultation really consists of. All that and more when our show continues here on 790 KNST, Tucson's most stimulating talk. Welcome back to Premier Retirement with Jeff Ogan, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management here in Tucson and also up in Mesa. We're certainly glad you decided to join us this week. We've got a lot of great information on the show today. Once again, if you've missed any part of the show, we are a podcast. Simply go to wherever you get your podcast, search for Premier Retirement with Jeff Ogan podcast. You'll find this show and all of our past shows. You can also go to Google and Google Premier Retirement with Jeff Ogan. Also, you can go to YouTube and do it. We're in all those places, and we appreciate you listening to the show every week here on 790KNST. Jeff, time for listener questions, and we're going to kick it off with a question from Carolyn in Oro Valley. And Carolyn says, what do you think about taking money out of a 401k while you're still working and putting it into an IRA that someone else manages, and you'll be paying for them to manage that money? I'm just thinking that maybe a better job could be done. So what are your thoughts? Well, obviously, as an advisor, I think a better job can be done. You know, we we do believe that we do earn our fees here. What you get, you know, with a firm like us that does comprehensive planning is for the price you pay, the 1% in fees or whatever, you may get more access to different type of investment opportunities, maybe even some private equity, private capital deals that aren't available in 401ks. You might be able to move some of that money into a something like an annuity that uh, has no risk so you can protect your assets and still grow them before retirement or even turn them into an income stream that would you know, replace what otherwise would have been a pension that you may or may not have. If you have a 401k, I'm guessing you don't have a pension. Most companies, you know, if they used to have a pension, switch to 401ks. 
So I'm guessing you don't. So you know, to create a pension where you have income that would fill the gap between Social Security and your paycheck that you've been able to uh, you know get while you're working, but won't be able to get while you're retired, you might want to replace that paycheck or a big chunk of it with an annuity. So you have a lot more opportunities to move assets from a 401k as long as you're at that point where you're either 59 and a half and they, the plan allows you to do it, or it's an old 401k where you've already left the employer, you could be in your 40s and still move it. So depending on your age and the situation in your plan, you would have a lot more options available in a self-directed IRA, whether you manage it yourself or whether you just have an advisor that redirects some of those assets into either fee-based managed accounts where we pick the stocks and try to be in the market when the market uh, looks a little bit more sound than it does right now. And you know, get out of the market when it looks too risky, like it does right now. You know, right now, you know, we would be earning a fee for keeping your money safe in short-term fixed income instruments, bonds, government bonds, you know, making about four and a half, five percent and, you know, not losing money. And then, you know, when this market shakes out, when the fear index, which we talked about earlier, goes away. And, you know, it's funny is, you know, when there's no fear, that is what to fear. <laughs> the fear yeah. index is kind of opposite, right? Is you need to fear that index when there is no fear. You, you don't fear the index when there's tons of fear. That's usually when, you know, people have already sold off and, you know, stocks are a little bit undervalued or at least more fairly valued in a time to buy, which, you know, would have been maybe last November based on, you know, where we were in the market cycle. But, you know, I still think there's a, a leg down and so does other people. So, you know, from getting a management standpoint, if you're close to retirement and don't want to ride this market down 30, 40, 50 percent and then ride it back over the next five or 10 years before you can use your money at its current value, you might want to protect it and you might get that type of service from somebody that does a little bit more of a active or a tactical management type plan. Or, in addition, just create a, a comprehensive plan that would help you understand when it would be best to take income from the different investments, maybe how to set up an annuity that in five or 10 years when you retire will generate exactly X amount of income, and maybe you put a little bit less at risk in the market where, you know, you just want to stay in the market, ride it for the long term, but it's, you know, money that you might not need on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis to live on. So, again, your overall situation would dictate you know, how much uh, advantage you could get by moving assets from a 401k into an IRA. But honestly, my take, well, probably because I don't manage 401ks, I mean, I can help you, you know, manage it or pick the right funds, you know, until you move it. But from the standpoint of doing something that you can be in more control of, you can definitely do that in an IRA better than a 401k. 401k just gives you guardrails in a, a lane that in which you can drive and that's it, right? And you have a few choices there, but not a ton of choices. And certainly most 401ks, at least I haven't seen the 401k yet that offers anything like IRAs do from the standpoint of insured products, principal protected products, things like uh, fixed index annuities that I really love. Like, you know, you can even convert to LERPs if you're willing to pay a little extra taxes while you're working, depending on your tax bracket. Might be appropriate to start one earlier, maybe even with some... Uh, rollovers from your 401k to an IRA and then divesting that at the current lower tax brackets into something that's tax-free when you retire and get a tax-free income stream as well. So even though you're working, it's uh, you know, I wouldn't stop just at looking at moving a chunk of your 401k to an IRA just because you might have it managed better. That's a great start. And I think that can definitely be you know an advantage and a reason to move. But I think a bigger reason to move is if that managed account or if that financial advisor can offer you a comprehensive plan and some kind of a crystal ball into the future. Now, there's nothing, no guarantee with that crystal ball, but at least a look into the future with a, a pretty accurate picture of where you'll be financially and what you can guarantee or predict as income rather than, well, I hope our manager does better than the 401k. Let's pay a fee and see if we get our money's worth in five or 10 years. I think you could see that you could get your money worth much earlier than that by just having a plan that gives you the comfort and at least some sort of security or mental security or some sort of a feeling of peace and contentment knowing that going forward you can retire at X date and you will be okay. 
Carolyn, thanks for that question. Thank you for listening to us in Oro Valley. Of course, we'll send you out a hard copy of Jeff's book, Retirement, The Road Ahead. By the way, if our listeners do want to get that book, they can do it by going to premret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Scroll to the right there on the title bar under resources. You will see book and you'll have the opportunity to download right now Jeff's book, Retirement, The Road Ahead. Our next question, Jeff, comes from Barry, related to the five-year rule start date. He says, hey, Jeff, I've been enjoying your show for several years and have just found your new podcast, so now I can listen any time. We're glad you like it, Barry. Barry says, I'm 62 years old and plan to retire in five years. My initial foray into Roth contributions was through making Roth 401k contributions in my 401k plan. Two years later, I established a Roth IRA outside of my employer's plan by making a conversion of some conventional IRA funds. My question is, when does the five-year clock start ticking for the five-year rule from the initial Roth 401k contributions or from the later date of my IRA conversion? Well, both are separate entities. Both have five-year rules, so you need to uh, you know consider that. So if you plan a, uh, eventually to move 401k money and convert into that IRA, you can do that over any period of time. But the clock on that account started ticking the first minute you put money into that Roth. Now, let's say you don't put any more money in. You did it two years after you started your 401k contributions, but let's just say, you know, you're still, you know, a few years away from wanting to use the tax-free income because you're doing other, you know, conversions and different things to try to take advantage of the low tax environment that we're in compared to what we'll probably be in in the future, which we know we'll be in in three years, just from the Trump tax cuts going away. But Bottom line is, I'm not seeing a situation where it would probably make sense for you to even violate either of the five-year rules, but that is the rule. It starts from the first distribution. If you don't continue to put any money in for a whole five years, even if you put 10 bucks in to start a Roth, long as the fees don't eat it up or you don't, you know, it doesn't expire. But, you know, if you have enough money to keep that Roth open for five years, you can convert a million dollars and put it in there and you don't have to wait five years for that extra money that you put in. The clock starts ticking from the time you open the account and first fund it. And by the way, one very almost always misunderstood area in Roth conversions or Roths in general is that this 5% rule means you can't touch any of your Roth. You can touch all of the Roth that was taxed already. In other words, you can take the principal out. You just cannot take any gains out for five years. So that may or may not even apply to your plan. But that is one thing. When you mention Ross and five-year rules, that's probably one of the most misunderstood aspects of that five-year rule is not just if it starts differently on a 401k and and an IRA, but also is can you really not touch any of that money in the Roth? The other thing I I will say, just while we're talking about Roth, and I'm expanding a little outside of your question, but for our listeners, you may want to know this. On a Roth conversion, you can convert as much money to a Roth from an IRA or 401k as you want without limits, without looking at your income. It doesn't matter. Some people say, well, I can't do any Roth conversions because I make too much money. I make $250,000 and my accountant says I can't contribute to Roth anymore. Well, you can't make a new contribution to a Roth directly from your paycheck to a Roth account, but you can always convert any IRA money you've deferred for a while and pay taxes now if you want to on the conversion. Now, when you move money from an IRA to a Roth, I would not withhold taxes out of that IRA to a Roth because you're just shooting yourself in the foot by not moving money from that account that could continue to grow tax-free into that account. Pay the taxes out of savings, out of non-qualified or non-IRA money if you possibly can. And if you can't, you might even want to rethink the Roth conversion until you can or until you stop working or in a lower tax bracket. Anyway, that's my two cents on the Roths. 
Barry, thanks for that question. Of course, we'll send you out Jeff's book, Retirement, The Road Ahead. And we appreciate you listening to us here. Our next question comes from Delroy, and he's thinking about Social Security and Roth conversions and the strategies. Hey, Jeff, listen to your shows and love them. Can you please help me with my situation? I'm 61, turning 62 in 2023. I plan to apply for my Social Security even though I do not need it. My rationale is I'm projected to get about $2,500 a month if I take Social Security at age 62. If I delay to 67, I get $3,050 a month. I think that if I take it at 62 over the next five years, I would have collected $150,000. However, if I wait to 67, it would take me about 272 plus months to cover what I had missed. Don't you think it'd be better to collect it at 62? I'm thinking of transferring all of my IRA assets to a Roth two years before I apply for Medicare. So do you think this is a good idea? I would leave items in the same investments and let them grow tax-free. Your opinion? Well, I think you're on the right track as far as your thinking goes. I didn't used to be a proponent of taking the Social Security early because there was more faith, I think, in the Social Security Trust Fund. But with some of the things that are going on with the uh, you know entitlement programs, uh, you know, the trust funds being dwindled and the possible means testing in 2033 if the trust fund goes broke that secures your Social Security payments, I think they're going to make some adjustments to people who they consider rich and maybe give bonuses to the people they consider are poor to try to equal out income. I mean, that's just what I see happening with the government, the philosophies, the values, the agendas that are put in play right now. It doesn't even matter who you elect anymore. So many of the non-elected bureaucratic uh, departments out there in the government are probably already have this, you know, machine kind of built where, you know, when money runs out, they'll either print more, they'll readjust it. And of course, they always want to hurt the rich or make everything equal. So I think the more you take out of your social security early, if you can reinvest it, and like you said, the 272 months uh, before you break even, that does assume that you're going to invest it at about probably a 6% rate of return or so. Um, if it's just pure 0% growth, 0% interest, the break even points about 12 years from when you start taking it as far as when you should make more money. Now, there is a situation you might want to also consider if you don't really have a high income, if the social security is going to be a pretty significant part of your retirement income, and if you're married. For example, I have had clients that, you know, and as I learned about Social Security, you know, starting about 20 years ago and implementing that as part of our, our overall comprehensive planning process, you know, I had clients come in and say, yeah, should I take it early? Should I take it late? And I, I remember one guy uh, came in, wasn't in very good health, actually dragging into the seminar, dragging a, an oxygen tank, breathing mm. oxygen. He comes up and he goes, hey, Jeff, I'm going to turn 62 tomorrow. I'm thinking about taking my Social Security early or should I wait? I looked at that, man. Is this a serious question? Yeah. This dude looks like he's, you know, got a foot in the grave already. I mean, he doesn't look that healthy. Why would he want to wait? And this was, you know, again, I was still kind of naive about the Social Security stuff. And so, you know, in our meeting, uh, he set an appointment after the seminar, and he and his wife comes in, and he's about going to be 62 the next day. His wife's in her early 50s. Uh, immigrated here from Mexico, and they've been married for a while. So she's uh, you know, a citizen now, but um, hasn't put in a Social Security very much. She had a, a, a business, a very thriving business, actually. But, you know, given the fact that she was 50 and only worked in the U.S. for, you know, five years or so, she wasn't going to have a very big Social Security check when she retired. Or if she had to pare down her work schedule in order to take care of him, on, you know, if he didn't live much more than five or six years. So, you know, what it came down to, is he, he says, well, wait a minute. He says, isn't it true that she gets whatever my Social Security is when I die? And I said, uh, yeah. 
He goes, well, it doesn't make sense for me to wait because mine's going to be much higher than hers. And if she outlives me by 40 years, it's going to make a big difference. Well, in that case, yes, it would be smart to do that if you have a spouse that either doesn't have a benefit, that best case is getting half a year's while you're alive and all of yours when you're deceased. And if that spouse is younger or healthier than you, enough to outlive you by 5, 10, 15, or 20 years, it may be way smarter to wait on Social Security, spend down IRA and 401k money. And by the way, this may fit into a tax plan where if you spend IRA money and 401k money, that's going to be forced income later at a higher rate, like I told you about in the example of our case of the week earlier, where this family didn't really need the money. But if they kept deferring the taxes down the road, the account gets bigger and bigger. And pretty soon you have to take more out of your 401k or IRA later. And you definitely need it less later than you probably need it now when you're in your early years of retirement. So, because you want to do more fun things and spend money and do stuff. So, you know, it might play into a better tax plan. Obviously, my answers are always, it depends because there's just no way you can call in or write in a question that has like an hour and a half of dialogue, which we would normally do in a first meeting to learn enough about your situation and know what the solution really is. So, you know, I'm kind of winging it here based on what I see. I'm kind of adding a few scenarios that, you know, may or may not apply. But I think for the listener out there, you, you can kind of see where your thoughts need to be or where those questions need to come from or what questions you should ask in order to get better answers. So um, again, for uh, asking the question, you get my book. That's the right. whole book that I wrote is all about asking the right questions. So you'll have kind of a review on that. You'll know you know how to ask the right questions or what things to think about, the, some of the things you might have missed in this question and be able to you know, hone in more on the exact uh, solution to your problem. Delroy, thanks for that question. And as Jeff said, we will send you out Jeff's book, Retirement the Road Ahead. If you have a question you'd like us to discuss on the air, you can send it to us by going to the website premret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. And once again, if you do want to read that book, you can do it today by going to premret.com, scrolling to the right under resources, and you can download that book, Retirement the Road Ahead. And Jeff, before we continue, I want to remind our listeners, of course, we are a podcast. Simply go to wherever you get your podcast and search for Premier Retirement with Jeff Ogan. You'll find this show and all of our past shows as well, too. If you need answers, then request your no-cost, no-obligation Premier Retirement Roadmap by going to premret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Click on the contact page, or you can request it as well by calling 520-780-9059. That's 520-780-9059. It's just a friendly conversation. You'll sit down with Jeff and ask your particular questions and get the answers that apply to you and your retirement journey. Again, no cost, no obligation for that. 520-780-9059 or online at primret.com. Jeff, I think a lot of people listen to the program and they hear us talk about this initial consultation. So I thought here in the last portion of the show that we would talk about what that initial consultation consists of and discuss the five pillars of premier retirement planning. So first off, when people call 520-780-9059 and request their appointment with Shelly, they get in and sit down with you. What is the first thing that generally happens? What are you looking for? Well, honestly, I just, uh, you know, my first question is, how can I help you? You know, how can I make your life better? You know, do you have an idea of what you would like to get from me? And tell you about your situation. And I sit back and as as much as I love to talk, I, I actually try to close my mouth and, you know, use my ears at the right proportions to, uh, you know, I have one mouth and two ears. I try to use them at the, that proportion in the first meeting. But, you know, obviously I, as I listen, I, I come up with a lot of thoughts and ideas of how we would build a plan to accomplish what they want to do. Some people are very into, uh, look, I'm paying so much in taxes. I don't want to have taxes, you know, erode a third or more of my retirement. You know, when I'm retired, I paid enough taxes. Now, do I have to keep paying taxes on all that money over and over again? Yes. It depends on where you have it invested. So, 
you know, we might go really deep into the tax problems and situations that they have. Uh, Obviously, that requires looking at how many of those uh, dollars you've saved are in qualified or future taxable dollars, like the regular standard IRAs and 401ks, and how much money you've you've put in things that are more tax efficient. Have you used annuities for income? Have you invested in it? Do you have a pension? Uh, Have you invested in any, um, you know, tax-free products like LERPs? Have you invested in, uh, have you done any Roth conversions? And would we want to increase those? Those are the things that I'm kind of looking for as they explain their situation. And then, of course, we have to ring. So usually it's just kind of the, when I'm not working anymore, how am I going to replace the income? And when I replace that income, how much of this thing is going to be withheld from my paycheck? I'm sick of all the withholdings I get right now. Is this going to still continue retirement? Is there something I can do to, to make it go away? There. So we've got the, the income and the tax pillar kind of talked about at that point. Now it's like, okay, well, what type of investments do you have? Are you happy with the market risk you're taking? And most people right now are like, yeah, I'm pretty happy it's up over this year. You know, I'm up 19%, so pretty happy about that. Well, how'd you do last year? Well, I was down 40. Okay, so you're still down 25. Well, yeah. Okay, well, that doesn't sound too good. You know, if you had a couple of roller coaster rides like this when you're not working, is that going to make you a little bit more nervous? Or do you have so many millions of dollars you can afford to lose a chunk of your account values every few years in the next market cycle and the few more that you'll probably take between now and the time you're finally done with retirement? How many of these can you afford to handle? You know, are you in a position where you feel good about your risk tolerance? And most people who are getting ready to retire realize, or if they don't, I educate them on the fact that volatility is an income killer. Volatility is a retirement killer. It's the retirement time bomb. It's not just the tax man that's going to get your money when you have to take IRA distributions. It's the market that goes down and you're used to taking a certain amount of your portfolio out every month to live on and you're locking in losses every time that market goes down. It's called negative dollar cost averaging and it'll erode the future ability to withdraw money every time the market cycles downward. And the market's going to have serious market cycles over the next few decades. There's usually one good one every 10 years at least. It's average probably every seven or eight years. So, you know, consider if your retirement's, you know, 30 or 40 years, you're going to have three or four minimum of these market cycles where you're going to be either you know tied to living on cash or in a position where you have to live on at least your safe money. So have enough safe money that you can weather these storms. So again, we want to tackle the investment pillar. You know, we want to make sure that the investments uh, are allocated correctly so that you get the best tax benefits, you get the best principal protection, you get the best opportunity to not screw up your income plan or to not lose money at the most inopportune time when you might need that money the most. So we talk about the investments. Then there's, what about the healthcare? Speaking of your second biggest probable expense, now the, our first biggest expense, I know uh, the typical retiree thinks that a long-term care stay in a nursing home is, is the biggest expense they'll probably ever uh, handle during their lifetime. It's going to be, you know, two to three, four hundred $400,000 per person of total healthcare over the course of a retirement. Well, I will tell you, most of our clients spend somewhere between half a million and a million minimum on taxes, and that might be after we've done a good tax plan. It could be in the millions in taxes, depending on how long you live, how big your IRAs and 401ks and those other deferred assets are that you're going to have to pay tax on later, whether you need the money or not. Um, And taxes are by far... For our client, for the majority of our clients, by far the biggest expense that we have to tackle. So we t- spend a lot of time on that, and then we get to, what about long-term care? What about health care? Is Medicare going to cover everything? No, it covers some stuff. In fact, out of pocket, you're going to have to cover some deductibles, some uh, you know non-covered expenses, cover uh, any home health care or long-term care. Medicare doesn't cover that unless you've been in, in a skilled nursing facility and hospitalized for a few days, and that's very rarely the case. So you don't get any coverage for. Uh, convalescing, you know, and that kind of care. So how's that going to go? 
Uh, do you have a plan for that? Are you able to self-insure? Honestly, most of our clients could, but of course they don't want to be the spouse that wipes out half of the nest egg before they die and leave the other one hanging for another 10 or 15 years because they didn't have a plan to cover a long-term uh, care stay. By the way, I don't like, I am not a fan of pay-as-you-go long-term care policies where you pay, you know, maybe 2000 a year when you're 60 and by the time you're needing long-term care, you're paying ten or twenty thousand a year for your long-term care coverage that you may or may not even use. That is money thrown down the toilet. I would prefer to do what we call asset-based long-term care, where we talk about, you know, a LERP, life insurance retirement plans, which can generate tax-free income and be part of a tax plan that we've already, you know, covered. But it can also the residual death benefit can also be used as a long-term care um, coverage, or even terminal illness coverage, whether you're in your house or in a nursing home. And whatever you don't use actually passes on to your heirs, your kids, or whoever you love tax-free. So uh, that's a way to not lose uh, the money that you throw down the uh, long-term care insurance uh, black hole, which is what it turns out to be for at least half of the people that buy it. Maybe in some, some case, most people put more in than they get out even when they do end up making a claim because they might not stay more than a few months or a year or two when they've you know paid for a Limit, unlimited lifetime policy or five-year policy. So now, once we've got all those four eggs, we've got the 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 income plan. How are we going to make up the income? How are we going to make sure our assets are are protected so we don't lose our life's work of savings and uh, you know building this asset base so we can live on it through retirement, save taxes, cover nursing care, and then what? Well, how are you going to leave your stuff to who you want, how you want, when you want, with the least amount of taxes trouble, and that might include you know wills, trusts beneficiary designations, and a number of other things. I'm a certified estate planner, so we can go through that with you and tell you what your options are when it requires documents to be drafted by an attorney or legal doc prep person. We'll refer you out, or we have people that we work with that do that. So bottom line is all five pillars are, uh, are done within you know a reasonable short period of time if you decide to come aboard and become a client or a part of the premier family. But, uh, you know, we cover all the bases. And I think, you know, when it comes down to only the investment part that generates fees, but we add all the other planning to it, I think we really go overboard to, or, I mean, we go out of our way. We do it purposefully. We want to earn the fees. We think, uh, you know, just parking your money in an account, getting a fee so we can golf every day and just tell you the market's up, the market's down and hang in there. It'll come back and earning a fee for that is ridiculous. That's, that doesn't return any value to you. You can do that on your own just by buying a, you know, mutual fund or an ETF someplace that, you know, that correlates to the market. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you don't, you don't need an advisor for that. But I think if we're going to be an advisor, we ought to do those all those value adds and pr provide those comprehensive services. So that's pretty much our process. So if you're interested in sitting down with Jeff and talking about your retirement plan, again, we're offering a no-cost, no-obligation retirement roadmap with Jeff. To get yours, call 520-780-9059, 520-780-9059. Again, it's not going to cost you a dime. There's no cost. There is no obligation whatsoever. You can also request your plan online at premret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Well, Jeff, we're out of time for this week. I'm going to thank you for your time. Most of all, thank our fine listeners here in the greater Tucson area for joining us each and every week right here on the radio. For Jeff Ogan, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Premier Retirement right here on 790 KNST, Tucson's most stimulating talk. Investment advisory services provided through Premier Wealth Advisors, LLC, an Arizona State Registered Investment Advisor. 
Securities transactions are placed through TD Ameritrade Insurance, and annuity products are offered through Premier Advantage, Inc., DBA Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. Any reference to protection, safety, or lifetime income generally referred to fixed insurance products. Insurance guarantees are backed by the financial strength and claims-paying abilities of the insuring carrier. This show is intended for informational purposes only, not to be construed as advice or recommendations. Due to show format, accuracy, and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Premier. Premier and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice and may only conduct business with residents of states and jurisdictions where they're properly registered.